this week, I mean, we've all heard already that uh, Scott Pruitt is uh, flying all over the country on the taxpayer's dime for uh, flying in first class. Um, and it, uh, it has been, there was an interview this week put out in Time uh, magazine um, from uh, <coughs> Mr. Scott Chewell Pruitt of uh, why he has to spend uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars to fly first class from Tulsa to uh, D.C. And uh, he said, uh, unironically, I might add, I-, I do not believe that Scott Pruitt is capable of irony in any major way. And so <laughs> I want to say that he said this w- w- hoping who he was listening to was like, ah, that makes sense. We live in a very toxic environment politically, particularly <laughs> particularly around issues of the environment. We also See, live in a toxic environment created by Scott Pruitt type policy. <laughs> are you saying he wasn't wearing a monocle and like, you know, grabbing uh, uh, his hands together really, really ominously while saying that? Right, he was well, actually carrying big bags with like oil symbols and dollar signs on them. <laughs> I'm not saying he wasn't doing either of those things, but what I am saying is that he was doing them unironically. That's just who he is. He needs the monocle because one of his eyes is worse than the other. He rubs his hands together because that's how he likes to use his hands. And yeah, he keeps small bags of gold on him. But, uh. He, whoa, 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 whoa. Not the gold callback yet. Chill. Yeah. So, so um, I, I, there, there are a couple, couple others. I want to I read a bit more from this article because uh, uh, Mr. Pruitt has some things to say. Uh, we've reached the point where there's not much civility in the marketplace, and it's created, you know, it's created some issues, and the security detail, the level of protection, is determined by the level of the threat. So I want to be very clear. Scott Pruitt has his fifis hurt, because people are dying of uh, oil cancer and are like, please, please, Environmental Protection Agency, help. And he's like, no, 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 no. Get the guys with guns to stand between me and the plebeians. Well, it's not even like when you sit first class, all us plebes have to walk past you. And I'm just waiting for the day that somebody's walking past Scott Pruitt and they just spit on his face and be like, hey, clean up that toxic waste. Because That would be funny. Like, that would be good news. <laughs> clean up that toxic waste. Except then he'd be like, well, we can't clean it up. That would require the company. No, no. <laughs> Wait. What would you say to him, though? Because that was like the big deal. He was like, I don't, you know, I don't want to be addressed. Like, what would either of you say to him if you saw him on a plane, you know? Um, it mm-hmm. would just be like a four and a half hour lecture over the dangers of pollution. And uh, I think I might just screen um, both of Al Gore's movies just right there. <laughs> not, not really because I agree or like, um, I just think that that would actually kill Scott Pruitt. I think if he was forced to sit through uh, uh, Al Gore's uh, climate flicks, he, he would just like, it would be like pouring water on a witch. He would just melt. <laughs> the toxic waste inside him would just separate and dissolve. He'd, he'd like have to like turn back into like the, the waste from fucking pitcher that he is, and like go back into the dirt, into Tar Creek. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the only thing that, that he even cites in any of this is one person 
walking up to him just screaming, you're fucking up the environment. So I'd probably walk past him and like ask him and say, did the word fuck trigger you that hard? And then repeat the word fuck at him until he has an aneurysm. <laughs> See, I'd want to ask him, I'd be like, why did you trade not like fucking prosecuting the shit out of some Oklahoma bankers after the financial crisis for a home and fucking broken arrow? Like you couldn't get something in Maple Bridge or like around <laughs> Cash a Hole? Like, you Jesus. had to go for fucking Broken Arrow. That's your fucking trade-off here. Like, you can do better, bro. If you're going to be that fucking of a grafty, dirty-ass politician. Like, at least get a good home, you know? Be on Crow Creek, just south of, of Cashel Hall. Don't be a fucking Broken Arrow. Like, I don't know. I just be like, yeah, bad taste in homes, man. Mm-hmm. You know? We, we can't even... I'd ask them why we can't get politicians that are good at graft. That, that yeah, would be my yeah. question. Why, why can't... Yeah, exactly. I, I like how the word of the day of this podcast is going to be graft. It's going to be graft. Yeah, that's 100% true. Okay. <laughs> that could be a new segment. I, I, I also want to know, the, the end of this article was the best part for me because uh, it, 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 the lesson to be learned from this little exercise is that while we could yell or holler at Scott Pruitt, he, uh, he's already insulated himself and will be shot dead if we say anything to him. Uh, but I just want to know this, these last little bit of this article. So. Pruitt's frequent government-funded travel, which record, records show has often included weekend layovers in his home state of Oklahoma, shout out us, is currently hey. under, under review by EPA's inter, the EPA's internal watchdog. The office of the EPA Inspector General, Arthur Elkins, said Wednesday it expects to release the, the results of, the, of its investigation by summer. Meanwhile, and this is the back-at-the-farm segment of the article, the White House's budget proposal for EPA released earlier this week seeks to cut $3.7 million or 9% of the funding for Elkin's office. Without sufficient resources, we would not be able to take on many discretionary audits and investigations that the Office of the Inspector General believes yield considerable value in return on investment, Jennifer Kaplan, uh, the spokeswoman for uh, the EPA's office, said. So, here's the moral. Just do illegal shit, fly first class, steal from the taxpayer, and then, if anyone starts to look around, fire them. Yeah, just cut, cut the, the bu- funding cut the budget, to their job, like, to the people. <laughs> the first people you cut the funding for is who's investigating you. I yeah, mean, at the very least, he's logical about that one. It's just like, we got to cut out the graft finders, because what's the point of being in government if you're not just getting some on the side? <laughs> I mean, is that, uh, is that not the point of government? I was I, mis- I, I've been misled. Yeah, and all but... all of this uh, all of this news coverage and the fire he's been he's come under has forced him to uh, cancel his Israeli plans for the weekends where he was supposed to <laughs> <laughs> he was he was supposed to stay at a at one at one of the I forget what the fuck hotel it was oh, the King David Hotel in Jerusalem it's supposed to be a beautiful trip for Mr. Pruitt. Many months has come and gone since I wandered from my home. In those Oklahoma hills where I was born Many a page of life has turned Many a lesson I have learned Well, I feel like in those hills I still belong Way down yonder in the Indian nation Ride my pony on the reservation In those Oklahoma hills where I was born now we're down yonder in the Indian nation The cowboy's life is my occupation In those Oklahoma hills where I was born 
I'm Adam Burnett, and today in the Red Star floating over Oklahoma, we've got Carl Roberts and Parker Nelson. Uh, Stephen Lastman is out this week while he visits what called the independent and sovereign nation of Quebec. And this is the Red Star over Oklahoma. We are a small political podcast broadcasting about politics in left Oklahoma. Uh, how you doing this week, guys? Pretty good. Doing good. Relaxed, you know, after our short break. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Doing well. The break was crucial. It, 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 it made all of us stronger and better for it. It, uh, it was a good time. But it was necessary. What? So, our first story this week, I think, um, you know, it, it, any anyone been paying attention to the news or their phone or Facebook has seen uh, that there was a, a school shooting in Parkland, Florida, that resulted in 17 deaths. And, um, of course, I think, you know, this is a, a very important topic and one that we need to address. And so... That's going to be our uh, first story for the week. And uh, basically, you know, we, 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 we had a lot of discussions this week between the three of us about how exactly we wanted to approach this topic and how we wanted to discuss it um, among ourselves and, and, and also where we can lead the discourse. And I really was, it, it was impressed upon me the importance of, discussing this in its totality because it is you know i i I think any of us can realize um there there is a epidemic of firearm deaths in the u.s and to speak about it while sectioning one portion of the discussion off as un untouchable uh i think is not helpful to the, the the discourse in any way and so i think you know for that matter while we are very pro-gun on this show i do think that you know we do need to accept and to, and consider the role that guns and gun culture has played in this and at the same time to consider without scapegoating the role that mental health and access to mental health care has played in this and i think that the best way we can really respect the lives of those who were killed in this tragedy is to be is to be willing to have an open honest and difficult conversation about what we can do to stop these kind of tragedies and i think that that means being willing to face the hard truths and the not good portions of this and so that's kind of how I want to open the floor up for us to talk about this. I mean, I I think we all have our own um understandings of of this event and so I just kind of open the floor up for you guys to kind of discuss what you think we should do as a country to fix this problem. <clears throat> Parker, you want to go first? Uh, I mean, y'all read my very long rant that I just kind of snapped about. Um, that basically, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I can summarize it for the viewers that uh, I posted in our group chat a while ago. Um, necessarily that uh, I disagree heavily with the scapegoating of the mentally ill, especially with the ways a lot of political uh, discourses uh, – or the way it's used um, as sort of an actionable item or like a, a rhetorical um, w- w- way of politicizing the particular event. And that's not to say it shouldn't be talked about because obviously it should, but it's, used, it's being used as more of a um, – means to disregard particular parts of it while for uh, particular parts of 
the surrounding conditions while um, putting up, uh, while trying to support others yet simultaneously do nothing with it legislatively. Um, so, like, my dad was watching Fox News <laughs> the other day, um, actually, and uh, they, they had a, an analyst on that was talking about, like, uh, what is the solution to all of this gun violence? And he literally said we haven't been able to talk Republicans into banning people from the terrorist watch list from buying guns. So he has no idea what can be done legislatively, which is like, you, and this, this isn't to say that, like, I'm legitimizing the terrorist watch list or anything like that, but it's like, Republicans are all about terror and killing terrorists. And within their own little ideological sphere, they're all like, you know, <clears throat> gung-ho. And so the NRA has their pockets so deep or whatever sort of ideological circle jerk they have going on, like to be able to not even ban the terrorists they hate so much from being able to purchase guns in the United States legislatively, right? So, and while they simultaneously like want to blame this all on mental illness, they also refuse to provide any additional funding for like these types of subsets of people they attempt to demonize. So I don't know, like I, I normally I can handle like the absurd level of cognitive dissonance that just happens from the Republican right wing, like sort of uh, revisionist historical national ideology. But with this shit, it's just like I you guys see me and probably have read the, the Onion article that gets reposted that's literally like the exact time. same. No, it's the exact same article, but replacing yeah. it with names and, and, and the actual location. And like that, while it was kind of like a nice ah, – that's, that's actually pretty fucked up to say. While it was like an attempt to satire – like to satirize like this sort of like shit that's been going on, man. Like it's just so difficult to like read shit like that over and over and over again because it's just so blatant as to this cyclic garbage that happens every single time that like uh, I don't know and and most of it is either attributed to like I, I don't it, they take this blanket approach of refusing to examine any part of gun regulation like it's either treated as a very black and white in the political sphere where it's like oh they want to come get our guns ban all our guns blah 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 or like whether it's like lobbying by the NRA, political party affiliation, like I know a lot of people like fetishize shooting down some criminal or being a hero or something, but or like this or Alex Jones and believing you are the next 1776, you know, <laughs> in, in this uh, coming looming tyrannical government scenario as if like they can't shoot you like like your shitty little rifles are going to take down the drones we were making jokes. Yeah, about the earlier. drone you can't fucking see. Yeah, as if they can't carpet bomb your neighborhood very well. Like it's it's just uh, any any of these premises are are about as equally fucking ridiculous. And See, it's I, like this is an equal like an like just an integral piece that we can't seem to fucking talk about. To, I to, think I think it's super straightforward though because you say like I think you're right that it doesn't make sense what the Republicans say, right? It it totally doesn't make sense because they all every single time that's exactly what Trump did. He's like it's mental health that's the problem. These crazy people come shoot up places. And you look at any of the statistics and that's like there's a, a lower incidence of people with mental like any kind of mental health issues committing mass shootings than we would expect if it was just like matched up with their percentage of the population, right? Right. So it's, it's not, not like they don't take health. in all of these white people who they don't kill if they were any other uh, any other yeah, nationality, yeah. which would be shot dead right shoot on them. the fucking yeah, spot. They fucking, like, shoot a they, they definitely kid for having a BB gun at a fucking park. Well, they definitely perform black, and they won't shoot this guy who's literally shooting up a school. You know. Yeah, they perform these mental health diagnoses on these white people that they take in and then come out with, I think it was like upwards of like 11 or 12 percent that actually had like diagnosable mental illnesses and weren't just like shooting up a school. And but the, I mean, for me, 
it all makes sense because if you just follow the money, like fundamentally, the Republicans sure. are the party of give give rich people more money. And the firearm industry is like an $8 billion profit industry. And it has a $51 billion economic impact on the country. Mm-hmm. And every single time there's a mass shooting, their stocks jump. Every single time there's a mass shooting, they sell a ton of new guns. They sell, mm-hmm. they sell a ton of new ammunition. And right. everybody likes to say, you know, there's this really, I think, a really great article from the New York Times called What Explains U.S. Mass Shootings? International Comparisons Suggest an Answer that is basically like, oh, it's guns. There are way more guns in the U.S. And that's, oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's true. It's that people have access to more guns. Well, just and, pretending like rhetorically, right? Like they can't even well, acknowledge the fact that access to these tools that facilitate mass murder is, is like even a pertinent concern. But, it's like, but like the fundamental, about. I mean, the fundamental point is why is there that access? And that's because right. there are people that make billions upon billions of dollars off every single person that got shot on Wednesday in that school. Mm-hmm. They make money off those people's debts. And the Republicans only want to protect rich people. They want to protect the flows of profit in the American capitalist system. And that's a central flow of profit for how our, our, our world works. And you look anywhere else, no one has the same gun market that we do. And that's why there isn't this thing. Because you have an organization whose express purpose is to protect that flow of profit. I saw I saw a really good tweet that I, that I retweeted, and you can go see that on my Twitter about you know the line only a good guy with a gun can stop a bad guy with a gun, right? And and somebody was like, you know what that sounds like? Somebody that wants to sell two guns, not just one gun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. Is it is it is you know because it's not just guns that are the problem. It's it's the the high level of access to guns. It's the kind mm-hmm. of guns you can access, right? There's, I've seen article after article after article of people of, of just motherfuckers like a 20 20 year old kid. You know what I mean? I guess I shouldn't say kids, but 20 year old young adults just walking in and being able to purchase AR-15s like with an expired license with whatever. I think I've seen seven. It's n- I've or literally so. gone and like, um, I mean, just, Lassie owns owns a gun i mean like i grew up in a house with a gun like right. like and last he wanted to buy a gun once he was 18 and he, i think he was 18 he was 18 or 19 i think it was 19 i'm thinking about it he, yeah he was out no i guess he was born by then but you know he, he, he he's not that old and we right. went to fucking academy and it took him 30 minutes to buy a gun right and i mean it was it was a shotgun you know it's it, it had it could hold like Three shelves or something like it's not a gun you could properly shoot somewhere like right, it's not, it's not up with like an semi-automatic AR-15. or whatever like semantic garbage they want to try to do these over classifications as yeah and but and, and it's like this is i mean this is not a gun that you can kill large numbers of people with and that's i mean when you look at it that's why this shit doesn't happen in mm. other places because you can't buy guns that are ex- exclusively designed to kill people yeah, and any time you try to talk about gun regulation, they're always going to be like, "Well, what about responsible gun owners?" And it's like, "Well, what like sort of, what sort of like use do you have for an AR-15? Like, really, like legitimately, like you're going to use that as a even... hunting rifle? You're going to do something? Like, I, I'm trying to think of some type of legitimate usage for these types of things, you know? And and they only... also, I mean, they they pull this argument too. They're like, "Well, the law's not going to stop criminals. Don't follow laws." And it's like, "Yeah, that's true. That's I I am." Everyone should 100% be like, that's entirely true. If people really want to do this, they can do it. There's a mass shooting here in Germany in 2016, right? This guy mm-hmm. used a Glock. It is not legal to buy Glocks in Germany. That is not a thing. It cost him about 
5,000 euros for one gun and like 200 bullets. Mm-hmm. That is not how much that costs in the U.S. No, Way not less. even close. You'd be fucking fully kitted out like this guy was. And especially with that, they that. just deny any, any, like literally any level of nuance with this, right? It's like you could go, yeah. uh, like, like you can have different types of regulations for different types of guns. And if we're going to see, like, I, I just need to hear some of these justifications from literally anybody because we can't even reach down to any, any level of nuance whatsoever. It's either like ban all guns or don't ban guns or whatever, or even ban, like just restricting access, man. <clears throat> Like, it's really not that, like, even if they really want to do it, they can really do it. But, like, you then get down to these in, inane arguments that are like, well, they could just use a knife. And I'm like, you're really going to sit here and equate the ability to kill people with, you know, like a semi automatic weapon versus having to stab each person individually with a knife is going to be like, like, sure, I guess they can commit murder at that point. But, you know, like, it, it, well, it's the, the same. The, I mean, the situations always devolve down to such inane garbage like that. If you take, that if you take another example from Europe, right? Anders Breivik, who killed, like, those, like, 80 kids at, like, a socialist party youth event and had, like, a big mm -hmm. bombing in Oslo, right? right? He got his guns very legally. It was a fucking multi-year multi process for him to be able to get access to those guns. Mm -hmm. That guy had to plan... That guy was literally planning that shit for, like, five, six years, okay? Yeah. And the as reason like... it happens so much in America is because you plan it, and three days later you do. Yeah, that exactly. The biggest, and it's not like that. Also, unfortunately, we can a hundred like guarantee a hundred percent that we can stop all of these instances from occurring. It's literally taking preventative and active measures to try to prevent these as much as we can. And the mere fact that like all of those efforts get stopped dead, dead, like dead in its tracks, just because we can't like turn to these people and promise oh, 100% of these are going to be done or that they can't do them. Like The, the fact that we have to hit this such this high bar of garbage justification, I, it really, really triggers me, <laughs> at the very least, that it can't, like... Uh, you, I mean, you can't I, I be think... okay with, with making it more difficult. You don't think somebody who's like, oh, fuck, that's, I, I have to pay $15,000. I don't know. I have no idea what the cost of the AR-15 is. But to pay, like, five to ten times the actual amount of it to try to get it on the black market or something, or be forced to the, or that might give up their schemes because it's so difficult to access these guns. Like, even if you have one of those, is it not worth it? Yeah, if I you stop know. any of them, it's worth it. But I, I... think, yeah, Adam, you want to say something? Oh, I was just <laughs> going to say, I think that, like, that, that description you're giving of, you know, it, it, these kind of preventative measures and how they actually work is super informative because that's something I, I hear a lot is, oh, you'll, you know, a good guy with a gun stops a bad guy with a gun. And then, of course, the other one of, you know, uh, a criminal will find, find a way to a criminal will find a way to get a firearm. And that's not the point. Like, that's not that's like so inherently not the point of what gun regulation are. Gun regulation makes it harder. It puts more steps between you and that firearm to slow you down and slow your thought process down. I mean, everyone and, who's gone yeah. through some sort of firearm training knows that most firearms, you have a waiting period before you can purchase. And like, the thing is, is that waiting period is intrinsically designed to make you cool off so that I can't get in an argument with you, walk over to the gun store, buy a gun, buy one bullet, walk back over and shoot you in the chest. I, it puts a time limit on it. And that's literally all we're like, that, that is what gun regulation is for and what it is supposed to do. And like, I mean, like background checks, dude, like any number of like 
things that you could possibly suggest that are just shot like that that most people once you actually get down to the nitty gritty and actually try to talk to them out of these like inane scenarios that you have that for some reason we have to shoot down before they can even before we could even have any type of legitimate conversation, most people actually agree with like, oh, universal background checks. Oh, like, yeah, waiting period. Oh, yeah, like, and, and also like trying to but nuance think... it out with, with taking the like handgun, right? Like, I, I don't know, like, do, do you need a gun so quickly that you can't wait a waiting period? Do you need it? Do you need access to this weapon? I, I don't understand, like, just this compulsive, you know what I'm saying? Like need to prevent restrictions other than what Carl's mentioned. I mean, I, 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 I think this is a, the fundamental thing is we shouldn't be arguing like that. We should be saying $8 billion a year goes to companies that is covered in the blood of people who commit suicide with guns, who would not be able to do it otherwise, who probably wouldn't do it otherwise, right? For every, every one person that gets killed by somebody else with a gun, two people kill themselves with a gun. And the reason that happens is because that gun is to hand. That's the only reason that happens. We know that. And there are so many different ways you can fix that while not infringing upon the right of people to own guns. And we should be saying those gun companies have $8 billion of blood money. Every single penny of that money that American gun companies make in America, every single penny of that is blood money. And that's the thing we should be saying. We should be saying, no, no, you all are making blood money and we want to stop that. I don't want to argue. I don't want to argue with these people. I don't want to engage with them. I don't want to be nuanced. I want to be like, you are selling things that kill people. And until you fight for stuff that keeps people from dying in a way that doesn't happen in any other country in the world. You don't deserve a fucking penny of it. You don't, not only do you not deserve a penny, you're a murderer. You are part and parcel to that. That's what we should be saying. And we should be saying, until we change regulations in a way that makes gun ownership something where we can reasonably be like, you know, like, like with Breivik in Norway, where we can be like, the reason that happened is because that guy is crazy, because that guy is, is, has these in political beliefs that are genocidal. That is why that happened. Where we can right. say, the problem is Anders Breivik. The problem is not our set of regulations and people making blood money off right. and, and the death to- of, 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 of fucking high school. Dude, to, to like also always transition the conversation off of one that is very much so causal, that is very much so legislatively controlled, that is very much so like relying upon auditing processes, things that can be traced back to actually putting up barriers of inhibition to just trying to dismissively put it away as like, oh, it's a mental health issue. Like, scapegoating, like, I have a big problem with scapegoating the mentally ill. Like, uh, really difficult because of how much they, they already have to go through within society um, and how much shit they have to put up with from other people. Like, this, this sort of, like, dichotomy of normalcy versus abnormalcy. Like, they get otherized and get thrown under the bus more often than just about anybody else. Um, well, and they get thrown under the bus so that the, the guy who runs Smith & Wesson can make money. True, true. And, but, like, the, the, the fact that, like, that doesn't even, I don't know. I, I forgot where I was going to go with that, JK. And it's also a thing, I mean... Don't, don't stigmatize people as inherently violent, please. Like, at the very least, that, that implicit violence should be uh, also acknowledged within systemic injustices like we're talking about. And it's totally, it's not even hard to just be like, mm. and this show is pro-gun, like you said at the start of this, Adam. We're going to uh, tell people about some events by fucking gun club at the end of this show. Like, you went to a range day. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And 
it's very easy to just be like, no, we, you can own guns. That's okay. You can own guns in all these places that these right-wingers are like, oh, no, you can't own a fucking gun in Europe. Oh, you can't. No, you fucking can. You can 100%. There is nothing about that that is necessarily problematic. The point is to make it hard for people to get guns that are exclusively good at killing people. Mm-hmm. Well, no a good one, idea might. Yeah. And, and also to make it hard for people to use those guns to kill themselves. That's the other thing, you know? There are, if you own I, I, a gun in Japan, there are rules about how you store it. If you own a gun almost anywhere in the world, there are rules about how you store it. And people I was don't kill themselves well. with guns because you can't store ammo in the gun in the same place. Because you have to buy a trigger lock that you keep on the gun at all times unless you're using it. Right. Et cetera, and et cetera, et cetera. There was another stipulation to that Japanese, um, that, that, that one of the Japanese regulations is that they're one of the only places where you, you are forced to affirmatively prove your mental fitness versus um, just it giving it granted to you by not having any type of affiliation, like negative affiliation. So you have to go and prove your competency to use a gun to uh, mental health professionals before you're allowed to have one. And I think the problem, I think, I think that also, um, uh, talk it like delineating the problem of mass shootings and suicide is that like suicide can can be I, I think is a whole nother a whole nother ball of wax in that um it can be committed pretty easily using other means it can yeah but be but there are lower incidences be... of suicide when people don't have access to guns true but it's that's that that, that would that's also an ins- yeah 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 and and and, and trying to hit the t- I, while i agree with you that definitely handguns should def- should be regulated but still accessible like i think going through the process of acquiring a handgun for um any type of individual is going to uh, in, uh, just innately be a lot easier to access and and could be easily fakeable by somebody trying to commit no suicide. okay okay so, so so like here's an example we need that thing, positive right? uh, like after um, like we need that affirmative mental you know I mean that, that that's sort of affirmative mental testing like this, i suppose to own a handgun for example because i was reading up on mm-hmm. andrews bravik because i think it's important to talk about this in like an international right. context so we can say look at how other countries do this in a way that's mm-hmm. clearly effective at stopping mass shooting right yeah go for it even if they happen on occasion overwhelmingly they happen less often because you can't get guns as easily for to get a handgun in norway you have to already be a gun owner. You have to own long guns. You have to be active in a gun club for a long period of time, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to do a bunch of things that prove that you're not going to kill you. Essentially, that you have a reason to own it other than just, mm-hmm. I want the gun. You have to prove right. that you're actually a gun hobbyist. And there's nothing wrong with being a gun hobbyist. That's fine. It's just, you can put in regulations that make it harder, you know, that, mm-hmm. that don't make it, that make it harder for people to just get guns to use whenever they want to. Mm-hmm. Or, or to put people in situations Imp- where they use a gun in a way that's bad. Yeah. yeah. And we know there are studies out there that say if you're required to store a gun with a trigger lock on it, you let people kill themselves. Mm-hmm. Or and there are less, the NRA, a lot less accidental deaths, especially because no one takes yes. care of their yeah, yeah. handguns. And, and I mean, if you just look, why would they fight against that? What, what benefit... Is there for gun companies to fight against that? Oh, that's right, because the second you say anything about maybe we should regulate guns, their stocks are going to go down. Mm-hmm. People might buy less guns. Actually, people tend to buy more guns in the U.S. whenever you say that, and stocks do tend to go up. But if there's an actual threat of regulation, mm-hmm. $8 billion of profit might be threatened. And that, it, I mean, this show socialist, the show is, is left-wing, and I think that's what we have to always talk about. Like, at the end of the day, there is no way to talk about gun issues in America without talking about the fact that it's very profitable 
I don't want to hear any of this liberal yeah. shit about like there's this thing that people say that after Sandy Hook, Americans decided that the right to own guns was more important than the kids at school. That's not what we decided. We decided that the profits of gun companies were more important than the lives of children at our schools or at our or, movie theaters or uh, or at our Las Vegas strip concerts or dude, in yeah, our homes. These inane suggestions of like, oh, well, let's arm all of our teachers. It's like, dude, you, 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 you know can't that even like up? fund, you can't even fund the teachers. Where are you going to find these, <laughs> these fucking. <But> that comes <laughs> up. It's the exact same thing I said earlier. That I mean, is yeah. coming from people that want to sell guns. And that's true, why true. they're involved in these politics. I mean, I don't know if they necessarily are all thinking about profit motives. A lot no, of no, no, no. I'm, I'm just like, oh, well, you got to shoot. You got to be a good guy. You got to shoot the gun down. And that's just like, I think it also hits us at an, like I said before, an ideological level, right? That like this I sort just, of. Um, well, what I mean is not that like individuals necessarily are thinking that, but that is such an important part of our gun culture that we don't talk about, that that is how it always gets expressed. That the only way people on the right can talk about it, because it is exclusively about gun company profits on the right and has nothing to do with the shit they talk about. Like, that is the real material basis of their ideology, that every single thing is about gun companies making more money in some way. Selling teachers more guns, saying, no, you can't ban them because, well, everyone should be able to buy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It always comes back to the point, and that's why they have all these different excuses that don't go together, because it's good for the gun-owning bourgeoisie. The gun company owning bourgeoisie, mm -hmm. and and you see that in every single argument there. Yeah, and I mean, like equal access. Going back to their hallowed bill of rights, their, uh, I mean, yeah. There's there's so many ideological angles they can they can take with it, and it's just like, uh, I just think, like I said, it's some patriotic circle jerk double edged sword. It's just like you know they they have this reverence for the government, but this looming fear of a tyrannical piece of garbage that they can yeah. then fight off it's like bro you, you like uh, then this is like it's coming from living in the south for as long as we have <laughs> you know what i mean engaging with literally any of these fuckers that are like <clears throat> either fantasizing themselves as being some hero or just like really really wanting to shoot someone but having some sort of moral compass that's like oh let's not do that like i and i could say from experience with my own family like Holy fuck, man! I do. If I could just say one last thing, like I think I wish is, I wish he would. I, I wish somebody I think, would bring a gun. Like, <laughs> bro, like you're really, like really. But but like for me, and, and I, I keep harping on this point, but now I want to make it about liberals because that's the problem with the liberal left in America. They oh, don't there's so talk many problems with capitalism. the liberal left. You know, yeah. like that Horkheimer quote where he says, "If you want to talk about fascism, you must also talk about capitalism." And I'm paraphrasing mm -hmm. him here. You also right. have to do that if you want to talk about gun problems. You can't talk about gun regulation if you're not going to talk about that, if you're not going to criticize the capitalist system that makes it impossible to have a valid conversation about guns in America. Until you do that, you just want to sit here in your fucking big city and you never, ever had somebody that lived out rurally or something and had a gun in the home, never had access to that, and then, and, and then you want to fucking tell us in middle America that the problem is just guns or something, shut the fuck up. You, are, mm -hmm. you probably have some bank account or some stock portfolio that has a gun company in it because it's good business. Mm -hmm. And so it, that's why they can't actually provide anything useful, the Democrats or the liberal left, because they can't talk about the real issue.
there was a good um there's a good article that i need to go back and find actually that i read the other day about uh somebody did a study on um the amount of political contributions that have been made to um republicans versus democrats uh in the last like 10 years or so um and republicans reached upwards of like 3.5 million or something in campaign contributions and um democrats didn't even crest 100,000 pretty crazy yeah i mean that's the thing but that's the thing is democrats I'm not saying that that's like a significant yeah uh, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the, the NRA definitely is jerking off the, the Republicans though, because they're yeah. as, as ardent defenders of whatever. Not saying Democrats aren't ardent defenders of capitalism as well, because we we know that. But yeah, in terms of campaign contributions directly from these people that have been you know publicly reported, you can <laughs> the the answer is pretty fucking evident. Well, and that's the through line. It's the same thing with Republicans getting money from fucking oil companies or some shit. They just want to kill poor people, so so somebody who trades on the fucking New York Stock Exchange or or, or owns a fucking lives in the Devon Energy Tower can make its fucking money. Mm-hmm. Well, yep, yep. well, boys, I think that uh, that about sums up our uh, very 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 depressing and uh, tragedy ridden discussion for the week. Uh, take us on to some slightly less depressing news. Uh, I'll go ahead and turn it over to Parker to tell us about what's going on in Israel. Oh, BB. I won't say his name again. What we, what we called him. No. Um, no, you will refer to him by his God-given name. <laughs> what's so bad about referring to the fact that he's like pro-killing Palestinians? I as, mean, as slaughtering there's nothing wrong with it. Nickname. It's just the nickname that is the... I'm just oh. saying BB is a cute nickname and we should use it because it's kind of oh, funny, B- but it's like funny adorable. in a dark way because he's like pro-ethnic cleansing. Okay. okay. Because he's, Come on, he's Parker, killing. Tell, yeah, tell okay. us what's going on. Tell sure, sure, sure. So uh, BB Netanyahu, uh, prime minister of Israel, is uh, under fire this week for quite a few um, allegations that the, uh, in, I guess, internal police have uh been investigating him for um there's a number of cases that he's he's actually being the one indicted and a couple of others that he's not um firstly they, they've lucky for us they've uh, just decided to go with case 1000 through 4000 so we'll start with one i don't get why they didn't just do case one two three and four like i'm confused i mean i don't know what type of what, what typifying system like they're using to uh sort of increment this garbage but you know it, it happens it, it, but it is also important work that they're doing so i'm not trying to disparage you know how, how they index things uh, but regardless um the first case, case of 1000, uh, was raised in 2016, um, according to weeks from the police department. Um, BB accepted a lot of gifts from business entities ranging uh, from upwards of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, he offered political favors in return. Um, a guy named – I'm going to butcher these fucking names, by the way. And there's also a lot of German names, so I'm glad we have you, Carl, <laughs> and Adam, <laughs> who, can pro- maybe, who, can, who might be able to pronounce some of these uh, – some of these newspapers as well that I can't know. Uh, but Ar- Arnold Milken, uh, the producer, he produced a lot of movies like Fight Club, et cetera, et cetera. I'm um, here in the United States. He is said to have uh, some cigars and champagne, um, as well as like a 10-year U.S. visa in exchange for kind of lobbying on behalf of John Kerry. Um, James Packer, who's a wealthy Australian billionaire, also tried to gain permanent residency and tax status in Israel. Uh, conservative estimates put totals around 280,000, but uh, they're suspected to have been quite a bit more. And uh, BB does not deny accepting the gifts, but he denies returning the favors, Lamau. I love that move where it's like, of course they gave me presents. I'm a great guy. They didn't get any preferential treatment. <laughs> yeah, bull fucking shit. And so that 
that in and of itself, um, the worst kind of being a 10-year US visa in this case, um, I don't know, it, it apparently, that, that hasn't been enough. There's there's another one in case 2000 um, where BB tries to influence the country's second largest newspaper. Oh, Jesus. Y- Yedioth? Y-E-D-I-O-T-H? I guess Yedioth. Yedioth. Aranoth? Aranoth? Yeah, right, right. Haranath. Um, a publisher, uh, b- basically, it's the, the country's second largest newspaper. Um, a publisher, uh, Arnon Moses, offered uh, favorable coverage and even to hire only journalists selected by the prime minister, uh, and ex- <laughs> which, you know, it's not. <laughs> Sounds like the blatant. University of Oklahoma and Devon Energy. <laughs> oh, rip. Uh, they've exchanged. Uh, BB was expected to push through legislation to ban the free distribution of a rival news source, the Israel Hayam. Um, and yeah, so it was pretty blatant that he at the very uh, that BB at the very least uh, put in a good word for these guys. Uh, but <laughs> wait, these... can you can can you read how he responded to the allegations though? Because this is amazing. This is oh, amazing. oh, I got his I got his reactions after after we get through all, all four cases. Um, <laughs> but oh uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and jump. He said after reading the recommendation report, I could say it is biased, extreme document that is uh, <laughs> that is as full of holes as Swiss cheese and uh, and that does not hold water. He also lashed out at the police chief, who he accused of airing delusional and mendacious insinuations against him. But that was like before he even said anything. So I was like, Jesus, BB. Benny boy, he's he's a <clears throat> professional. Oh. Uh, yeah, the other two cases, case three thousand, four thousand, three thousand might actually like be probably the most severe, even though it doesn't name direct, it doesn't name him directly for indictment, but like sort of his cabinet members slash confidants slash whatever the fuck Israeli word you want to use. Um, Israel purchased basically German submarines and other um, naval entities from Germany's Thyssenkrupp, Thyssenkrupp, or Thyssenkrupp. Yeah, yeah, that thing. Um, but it totaled around $2 billion. Um, His former bureaucratic chief was arrested for taking bribes and lobbying Israeli's defense ministry officials. And uh, Moshe Yalan uh, claimed that BB's attempted to facilitate this deal um, by urging a currency switch. So that could end up coming back to haunt him, as well as uh, case four, uh, the, the, the case 4000, where BB, he's not a suspect in the case, but he apparently made some false declarations, like, hey, I lied about his ass about some stuff. Um, his associate, uh, Sh- this, this dude's name is Shlomo Filber. Fucking great, great name. Uh, director of uh, uh, Director General of Israeli Communication Ministry. He apparently provided uh, this the National Bezek? Telephone Company. Yeah, yeah Bezek, the National Telephone Company, uh, with favorable treatment. Uh, he fired uh, Avi Berger, the actor, the acting director, who was uh, pursuing a number of broadband reforms, and replaced him with Shlomo. Um, he also didn't. Bibi <laughs> also didn't disclose ties of uh, to the. Uh, to the controlling shareholder of Bezek, where he said that they were a little more than acquaintances when previous court utterances set their friendship back some 20 years, you know, so a little bit more than acquaintances. I only I love, see I him love... once at small get-together. I never meet men except one time eat non-bread off of hookah station. I don't know what no, he's happens actually, in Israel. He's actually just Michael Flynn, and he's like, um... You know, I never met Putin. I just went to a dinner with him where we sat next to each other. But but here's the joke. It 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 it's just actually Michael Flynn sitting next to Bebe and he's just like, I don't I don't know how I got here. Mr. Trump no, gave me a no, plane no, no, ticket Michael and like, I'm hey. very confused. Michael Flynn is talking to BB's wife, Sarah Netanyahu, and he's like, I'm 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 the world's most dangerous spy. I'm the best spy. I'm the, the danger best. zone. Have you heard of Jack Ryan? That's basically me. No, he's like, literally, I'm just Sterling Archer. <laughs> well, you uh, speaking of the first lady, 
the first lady was also under some fire. Uh, Sarah, uh, I look like I'm from Whoville, Netanyahu, um, has been questioned by police over allegations of using public funds for private inter- for private expenses. Um, the basically she is accused of fraudulently diverting some 100k of the public purse to pay for private chefs at family events, furnish and improve their private home in some place I'm not even going to try to pronounce, and to pay for the personal care of her father. I'm so. gonna I'm gonna say it right now. Sarah Netanyahu and Scott Pruitt, best bud, hundred mm. percent gave each other like friendship rings or something. That has to real. be real. That's real in my head, Dan. I have no idea if that's actually true, but hundred percent. They're, they're it could be. It could be canon head. of the show. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll I'll give my stamp of approval. I don't know if I I don't know how much my vote weighs in this, but it's a very it's a, it's at least a a little bit. <laughs> but, but basically, but, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just going to say, I think that the, the, the great takeaway from this is, um, and I think you're probably about to get into it as well, but that, uh, you know, for all the, the shitting we do on Israel for, uh, you know, being a terrible warmonger and, you know, the whole uh, you know, you know, of Palestinians. <laughs> yeah. You know, constructing and carrying out an apartheid in, in the Middle East. Um, it just also like speaks to the fact that like even Israelis don't have competent leadership in the fact that like this is not the first time and not the second time this has happened, but this is a recurring event for leadership in Israel. It's just, but it's, I, I think what it really points to is that these fucking right wing people just get into politics to do crap. That's what they do. Pretty Doesn't matter much. what country. Does it, you're a Russian oligarch, you do politics to make money. You're Donald Trump, you run for president to improve your brand name. You're fucking Bibi Netanyahu, you get a bunch of cigars. And like, that's all they do politics for, is to make money and kill brown <laughs> Is that... You're not wrong. Is um, that not over, uh, the, yeah. the goal of American and Israeli politics? I'm uh, sorry. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> oh, we were all on the same page here, damn. No, uh, but, but yeah, you're not wrong. For the last 20 years, uh, basically every prime minister of Israel has had some sort of corruption allegation, with unfortunately only one of them actually being indicted. Um, you had, is it Ehud or is it Ed? We could call him Ed. No, I'm going to call him Ed. Ed Olmer. E-H-U-D, yeah. right? Ehud? Yeah. Ehud. Ehud. We're going to call him Ed. Yeah. Ed Olmer, uh, Ed who served uh, as prime minister from 2006 to 2009, um, is currently serving 18-month prison sentence for fraud, breach of trust, falsifying corporate records, and tax evasion. Um, he accepted bribes about 430000 so even if BB gets indicted, I guess we're looking at about 18 months, maybe less. Um, Ariel Sharon, um, he served as prime minister from 2001 to 2006, was accused of taking hundreds of thousands of dollars in bribes in the late 90s during the Greek island affair. Ehud Barak. We're called Ed Barack. Um, was served as uh, second Ed. Ed the second was served uh, as prime minister from 1999 to 2001. Even though he came first, uh, was it, he's still the second. Uh, was investigated on several occasions of uh, illegal campaign financing, bribery, bribery, money laundering. Um, Easer Wiseman, um, 1993 to 2000, stepped down early after he he just stepped down after getting slapped with the 300,000 from two executives. And geez, this last name. Avigdor Lieberman. Uh, the current defense minister was cleared by an Israeli court in 2013 in charges of fraud and breach of trust. So we, the Israelis do love their, love their bribes. I mean, it's just right-wing, you know, it's right-wing politicians. That's oh, just yeah. what they do. And the, fu- I mean, the funny thing is this guy, um, Ehud Olmert, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's, he's the guy that Bibi replaced. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Jeez. 
Well, I you know I think that 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 leads us pr- pretty well into uh, uh, the next level of darkness, which is if we're we're done talking about Israel, we got to move on to talking about Oklahoma. <laughs> so this week, uh, our only Oklahoma news item that we'll all be talking about, since we're very lucky to have an interview with Jagger Stinley from OKC DSA. Um, is Jagger's going a cool be... dude. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to listen to it, uh, since I haven't heard it. <laughs> Just hear it whenever you all are listening to the show. Um, but the big, the big ticket item in Oklahoma news is the crash and burn of the Step Up Oklahoma plan. Um, now, recently refurbished the step down. Uh, yeah, that's every fucking every single. I refuse to do this. No, every single news organization in Oklahoma said step down, Oklahoma. Fuck off, okay? <laughs> try, just try. All of you, your job is being a writer. Anything else, and you know, <laughs> I'm gonna call it the step back, Oklahoma. Step back, Oklahoma. Okay. No, you step so back, Oklahoma. Your... Step back. You're you're so original with your directional shift. Uh, okay, it's better than the exact same as every single other place. Um, How about uh, step on the throats of poor people? Can we call it that? Oh yeah, yeah we can. Well, that was actually the original step up Oklahoma plan. Um, oh fuck! They so, had that in like was that in parentheses next to it? I didn't actually read. Like, yeah, it was actually. God, uh, it was written the, in the, the margins. Will, will drink the blood of the poor is what uh, Larry Nichols said at the end of the press conference. Yeah, it was handwritten in the margins again. I heard. I heard about that. Oh, fuck. Um, but nobody reported. It. Very strange. Um, but so on. What ha- like, basically, the life of the show has been defined by the special session that Oklahoma has had. Right. Mm-hmm. The two where it will never end. It, it won't. It will it, go on forever. Like we genuinely might. So the fiscal year ends in June, the end of June, mm-hmm. uh, for 2018. We're still trying to fix that budget. It's February 2018. It started in July 2017. That's where we are right now. Um, mm-hmm. And this was like the last plan. All the Republican House leadership said, we want to do this because there was an, what was called the A-plus plan back in the first special session that failed. Mm-hmm. Because House Republicans didn't get the shit together, the the Senate, the state Senate passed with the with the supermajority, the seventy five percent, the A plus plan, and the House Republicans couldn't whip the votes from their own caucus or get enough Democrats to switch. And so, Step Up Oklahoma came out as this plan to deal with that. And after this just insane idea that it was the only thing because the overlords of, of Republican politicians in Oklahoma, namely oil companies, of bankers the rich told them this is the plan um they they still brought it to a floor vote right which is insane it's really insane because it got like 13 less votes than it needed to pass in the house and and the previous plan was four votes short because you need 76 votes um and they left the vote open for seven hours seven hours to see if anybody would switch over to get it to, pa- uh, to pass on February 12th, right? And, and people did not switch over. So the one thing that House leadership has been saying is the only way to end our budget crisis did not happen. And it's important to remember, it wouldn't have ended our budget crisis either. There would still have been a hole in the budget. 
uh, and, also would have uh, increased taxes on you know the lower middle class families. So yeah, this this is the important distinction too. The reason why I wanted to mention the failure of the first A plus plan in the first special session, the reason why they did this in the second special session that's concurrent with the regular session right now, um, mm. is because Democrats wouldn't come over to this for two reasons. The first reason is the Democrats were like, we're literally we haven't raised taxes since the passage of State Question Six Forty in nineteen ninety. Uh, which is ironic. I'm going to talk about that in a bit. Um, mm -hmm. So it's been 28 years since we've had a tax increase. We're only going to vote for it if it is good enough for us, right? And they have already said, here are our compromises and so on. And I'm going to say what their compromises are now in a bit. But first, like the switch from the A-plus plan in the first special session to this one is that they shifted the burden from tax companies and the rich to the poor with a regressive tax on the motor vehicle tax, which is tax, you know, every time you fill up your car, you pay per gallon. Uh, the $150 tax on cigarettes that got us into the special session in the first place when the Supreme Court was like, that shit's unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. And then um, removing the standard, like lowering the standard deduction so that poor people who overwhelmingly file the standard deduction pay more, which is the people they're supposedly giving a raise to, namely Oklahoma teachers. Um, mm -hmm. And then increasing taxes on renewable energy production so it's just like a way for rich people in oklahoma it's to make the more literal money. worst plan they could come up with and they were very proud of it yeah the, the whole point was let's make rich people let's like put as much of this on poor people as we can and democrats said no it's bullshit and everyone's we're gonna talk about the blame game later um and so democrats were like the last plan was better and we liked it and you all literally aren't giving us anything Mm -hmm. And the House Republicans couldn't even get the same number of people they got last time in the first special session to vote for it. They couldn't get 75 <laughs> percent of their caucus to show up and vote. Um, so now there are two plans moving forward. Um, the first plan is to cut state funding for every single program in the state by 2 percent through June. Um, technically, that number is a bit less because it's 0.66% of every budget, uh, of, of every like org organization's budget in the state. It's just, it has to be applied between now and June. And that ends up the last quarter of fiscal year 2018. And that ends up being 2% per mm -hmm. month. Um, that's probably, that has a very high likelihood of passing through both houses because Republicans have said, we're not going to do anything else. No, we, we won't consider anything. Um, Democrats, on the other hand, have teamed up with Gary Jones, a fucking Republican candidate for governor um, to push this plan saying, let's do some of the step up stuff, but be less mean to poor people about it. And then we can deal with this hole and get, uh, you know, a pay raise to teachers and so on. Because Democrats are basically saying, we're not going to give a pay raise to teachers and then cut their, and then like make them have higher taxes. And that plan is to raise the GPT up 5%, do the cigarette tax at 75 cents and then the motor vehicle tax at three cents instead of six cents, um, except for six cents on diesel. Well, that's a bit different. And so it's basically like if you cut in half the two big taxes from the Step Up Oklahoma plan, you can raise the, the rate on um, wells to 5% instead of uh, from the 2% and make up all that money. That's how that's how little you have to change that. And Democrats have said the whole time it's only it's five percent or nothing. Mm -hmm. And now we've gotten to the point where teachers across Oklahoma are saying now we need to start talking about a walkout. 
um, we we genuinely need to consider going on strike and ending school for however many days we need to do until we get a pay raise because it's it's not sustainable anymore. It um, the irony about that is the last time there was a teacher walkout was in 1990. And in 1990, teachers walked out, said, we need a pay raise so that we stop being 49th in the nation in teacher pay. They walked out for four days, got their teacher pay raise, then fought it off on a ballot question, state question 639, that was to end that teacher pay raise and the tax that made it happen, and then followed that up the people who tried to end that teacher pay raise and those higher taxes followed it up with state question 640 that has put us in this position. Mm-hmm. Delicious. Very it's, spicy. I mean, it, it's, it's just, it's utterly insane. For 28 years, we haven't been able to raise taxes and we still can't do it because there was always 25% of the legislature composed of, of like Republican legislators that make Dale Gribble look like he's not crazy and that make Alex Jones look like a sane person. And, and and Democrats that are just saying, you know, we're not going to give a pay raise to teachers and then tax them more because that's not a pay raise. It doesn't work out like that. So that you oil shit bags can make more money. Um, and that that's where we are now. So who knows what's going to happen? And I want to say it right now: if there's a teacher walkout and strike, and you listen to this show, it start start preparing for that. If you know teachers, start telling them it's a good idea. Labor unrest is always good. And, and I mean, 100%, we should, we should have that because Oklahomans will support that. I will tell you right now. Oh, absolutely. Everybody I know is in favor of teacher pay raise. And, and if it happens at the right time, if there's a teacher walkout right before the election and the teachers are saying, you better fucking raise our, our money, it will be not only the defining moment of the election, it, it, we will see the first tax increase ever under state question 640 in our life that happens around the election yeah literally in our lifetime mm-hmm. and hey if you're a teacher who is considering doing something like that or would like to discuss these kind of issues hey give us a shout over on our email account or over at twitter and we would love to have you on the show to discuss the issues that you are facing as a teacher in oklahoma mm-hmm but uh i think that uh if that's all you have on that carl we can uh, move on, and uh, uh, we did an interview with uh, Jagger Stingley from uh, Oklahoma City DSA, and uh, I got an opportunity to interview him, and it was a really cool time, so uh, we'll be playing that for you now. Hope you enjoy it. So I'm here today with Jagger Stingley, Vice Chair of OKC DSA, um, and we're just uh, going to have a little conversation about what you're doing with OKC DSA and what you guys have coming up in the future. Um, so when did the chapter of DSA in Oklahoma City begin and what were kind of its founding principles? Uh, it started in, um, May of 2016. Um, and it was kind of weird. There was some, you know, organizational drama. So it kind of really got its start back up in March of 2017. I didn't join until May. Um, but, um, yeah, pretty much right now the founding principles, we, you know, when it comes to mission statements and whatnot, founding principles is, you know, serving our community and also being an active member of leftist politics as well. So pretty basic. Yeah. Um, and so what, how did you get involved with DSA in Oklahoma City and what really compelled you to get? Um, so originally I found out about the DSA through Twitter, uh, not through the best light, <laughs> of course. Uh, most of the people are following are like, you know, and comp or whatever, but uh, 
I was originally going to start a YDSA chapter at o uh, OCCC, which is Oklahoma City Community College. And, uh, you know, I'm only there for one more semester now, but, you know, two semesters ago, I, I didn't see myself there much longer, so I was going to start it. Well, a friend came up to me anyways later, but besides that, found out through Facebook there was an OKC DSA, and I went to the meeting in May and since, so. Well, that's awesome. Um, so, since May, when you got in, mm -hmm. um, what has the turnout for the events been like, both internally with organizationally mm -hmm. and externally, uh, you know, when you guys are going out and canvassing, doing mm -hmm. that kind of thing? Um, first meeting I went to, there were plenty of people. I would say, man, there must have been around 20, 25 people. Um, and then it kind of went down after that. Uh, I'd say our biggest event or... Uh, the biggest turnout for one of our events was our school drive. We did a uh, drive for uh, Green Pastures, which has 100% uh, free or reduced lunch. And um, uh, that had quite a turnout and had good fundraising as well. Um, and then, you know, it's kind of the winter months, so nobody's really coming out to be an activist and do marches on MLK Day when it's 30 degrees. So it's kind of, and but, you know, we were definitely having a lot more people come to our meetings, which is awesome. Um, we kind of had a transfer of power in October. And so kind of through August, September, I would say it was kind of low turnout the meetings we had. But uh, since we started being a lot more active online, that's more coming. So with that kind of more activity online, and like you said, you had a kind of a power transfer. Mm -hmm. um, looking forward to this spring, mm -hmm. I imagine you've got some pretty big recruitment stuff coming forward. Oh, well, we haven't really looked at that. But, you know, <laughs> well, I mean, um, I hope and, you know, I hope that OKCDSA, you know, we want to also recruit by action. So, you know, if we're out in an event, if we're out in an event or any other kind of uh, function, uh, we recruit by talking to people about the DSA. They see the work we're doing and they want to know who we are. We talk about, you know, who we are. Well, that's awesome. Um, so what gets you most excited about seeing the, the, the turnout and uh, people coming out for DSA in Oklahoma City? Um, in Oklahoma City, uh, in Oklahoma in general, uh, just finding another leftist in Oklahoma is a hard thing. So uh, uh, definitely seeing a, you know, comrade, uh, no matter, you know, whatever ideology they may be uh, beholden to, uh, it's a great thing to see somebody come out and uh, support you and you can support them as well. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that uh, I know that I talk about a lot when I talk about leftism and leftists in general is that... We kind of have a leg up on a lot of other things because we get to really ride the inclusivity of yeah, everything. Yeah, definitely. And so in talking to organizing and in talking organizing in Oklahoma, it's really interesting to me that we can kind of, as leftists, throw the door open and really say, hey, have you been marginalized ever? Yeah, it's exactly. Like, have you not been marginalized? It's mm -hmm. like, cool, our doors are open. We want to hear your complaints mm -hmm. and we want to work together to get a solution that's right for everyone. And it's important too, you know, with that, you may not even know you're being marginalized, you know, because I mean, under a capitalist system, you're oppressed. You know, Matt, if you don't, you may not even know when you're being oppressed, but I was just wage slaving today, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so do you guys have any big events coming up in the near future? Um, right now we're just doing meetings, uh, through this month. Um, and, uh, we also have book club meetings as well. Um, what are you guys reading in book club? Uh, The Next Revolution by Murray Book. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, I read one chapter and still, like, I'm a communalist, but, <laughs> uh, but, um, uh, we're hoping to do uh, events related to, uh, 
uh, Black History Month. Um, so um, we're looking at other organizations we can work with, uh, maybe getting a speaker on a meeting. Um, I know one of the things I've read about is Project Blackbird, which uh, frees black women from So they're a good organization. I know they just freed a woman, uh, the first woman, earlier this month. So that's, well, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so you said you're having kind of organize, organizing meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your short-term organizing goals for the organization? Uh, well, right now we're trying to get incorporated so we can have a bank account. And then uh, that's one of the biggest things holding us back from doing big events like, you know, give me a break white, you know, campaign here in OKC is just the lack of funding. So we're kind of looking at things we can do for fundraising, um, whether right now we're trying to get a logo down for like a t-shirt that we can sell at an event, whether, you know, it might be like a conference um, or just here. In- so. Yeah, so um, I think this is a good place. I had forgotten to write this down, but this is a good place for you. So tell me, how can someone get involved uh, mm-hmm. in, okay, in the Oklahoma City, you know, metro or greater area? How can someone who wants to get involved get involved with you? Just us? Okay. Well, I mean, we have several outlets on uh, Facebook, and there's also an OKC DSA webpage, and you can do sign up through that, I believe, as well. Uh, you just sign up uh, with email, and uh, we send them out. We send a newsletter out, and that has our events on it. And that pretty much gives you the chance to know where we meet. And uh, you know. and so, um, I mean, the, the, the greater DSA does a due structure. I mean, you no. guys aren't incorporated yet, so you guys probably don't have a due structure just yet. Uh, no, I, I'm not, I know different chapters in different states, and I, I don't know if Green Country does it as well, but uh, I know that they have like a, uh, just a chapters do and then they have the national dues uh right now we just pay national dues and if somebody doesn't have the money for it we might try and help them yeah get that national yeah so we talked about kind of the short-term goals for y'all's organizing mm-hmm. what are your hopeful long-term goals in the state of oklahoma for organizing hmm well um uh, that's a big question <laughs> <laughs> yeah so when it comes to organizing i mean definitely having a larger presence to the point where you know it's a household name and people know that somebody out there is representing them in any kind of way and that they're fight, you know you know fighting for them and that they may be able to be in that fight as well so yeah i think that's one of the the big struggles um and the conservatives in oklahoma and you know in in a certain way nationally have a kind of this stranglehold on the like description of government of protecting people from government yeah. and of helping people with government um and i think that their, you know, this kind of lack of a true leftist or like organizing party mm. because Democrats aren't left. Mm-hmm. They're kind of you know, center right, if mm-hmm. anything. And I think that, uh, especially in a place like Oklahoma, where community organizing can do so much, definitely, um, that it it can be enlightening to mm-hmm. people to see exactly that kind of um, push from an organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I was gonna say. I mean, solidarity works a huge thing as well. I mean leftist groups getting together that also builds organizing. Gonna go with on another point about that, but head, so. <laughs> no, no worries. Um, so one of the really difficult things I think that happens in organizing mm-hmm. is a balance between short-term logistical planning mm-hmm. um, and long-term uh, kind of you know I don't I don't like to say the word ideological stance, but yeah. political stance. Mm-hmm. Um, so how are you guys trying to strike a balance between some of those short-term logistical planning things and the bigger political stances that you're trying? Oh, so you're talking about like uh, how are we 
going to work with Medicare for all. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that definitely comes with fundraising as well and, you know, getting funds for that. Um, also, you know, I was talking to a gentleman recently and he wanted to uh, do a little bit of canvassing around for Connie Johnson as well as just handing out pamphlets about Medicare for all. So, you know, things like that. Those are great ideas and they're not cost. It's something we can do. Um, but I mean, definitely there is a weird thing with national and when it comes to the chapters. Uh, I know I was at the uh, national convention and there was a lot of uh, definitely inner like drama about that. But it wasn't anything, damn. So you went to the National DSA Convention? Yeah. How was that? It was pretty awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was the first time I ever got out of the city and, like, you know, going to Chicago and not seeing the horizon for the first time was the weirdest thing. But that's pretty much it. But, I mean, more about the, you know, convention. I mean, it was great, you know, despite, you know, the crazy moments, trying to get through parliamentary procedure, uh, you know, going from a, say, you know, former convention, say, say that, like, People people going about seven hundred. Oh yeah, seven hundred, seven eight hundred, and also having to organize at that time twenty five thousand members when it was eight thousand. Yeah, and I I I I kind of mentioned I've I've mentioned this before, but I think it is I I think one of the keystones for me was seeing the galvanization of people following uh, Bernie's campaign in especially Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we won the, you know, Bernie, uh, oh, you know, beat Hillary in the state. And I think that that uh, combined with, yeah, some of the organizing that's now going on has been really interesting to watch. It's been in the last two years that so much has changed uh, on the grassroots level, Definitely. especially in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, organizations like y'all and uh, Green Country DSA mm-hmm. um, have really worked hard to do that. Because, I mean, it's not. Especially, I mean, you know, you're kind of, you, as you've described kind of y'all's transition um, over the last you know, two years, mm-hmm. um, that's hard. That's a yeah. hard time for an organization and even, you know, more than that for a group of people yeah. to stick together, to make decisions and to move Definitely. forward. I mean, that was one of the harder things because, you know, there was that first drama in 2016 and 2017 came, you know, that August, September fall off point. That was also a moment of kind of organization steering everything um no disrespect anything but like uh i mean so it's almost like a starting again um and we're just trying to hit the ground running as fast as we can because we've been around for a while yeah yeah and that's awesome and and you know i think uh he's seeing y'all and seeing kind of the solidarity that's moving mm-hmm. on and um uh, i've said it before and i'll say it again mm-hmm. i think oklahoma is right for this kind of movement definitely yeah i mean uh I mean, the progressive roots in the state cannot be forgotten. I mean, I'm trying to stress that in my, you know, current course and taking out triple C right now. It's uh, it's important. Yeah, I I I completely agree. Besides that, um, is there anyone like you'd like to give a shout out to while you're here? Hmm. I guess I don't know. I want to mention names, and I'm like, I don't even know if they want me to mention their name on a podcast. I mean, I, I guess I'll just give a shout out to the Cornet Committee that's been working hard in our chapter. Uh, support to all the members that have been showing up. The you know especially the ones that are dedicated that I've seen coming out the past few months as well. So, uh, yeah. And also all the other leftist organizations working hard and doing their part as well. Yeah. Well, hey, thank you so much, Jagger, for coming yeah. on and being yeah. a part of the show. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I hope you guys liked the interview. I'm going to turn things over to Carl for the conservative reading series for the week. 
once again, back at the, the font, the, the greatest spring of the conservative reading list, uh, the Oklahoman editorial board. I'm just going to read straight through this article because it's something they've done before, and it, it's important. What I want to highlight here is just like, what kind of media environment do we have in Oklahoma that the people who run the Step Up plan have the largest newspaper by circulation in the state just publishing their lies? Um, and so I'm just going to read straight through it, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. Um, so it's titled in Oklahoma house compromise seems to be one way street. The defeat mm-hmm. of the step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which they already wrote this article and we already read it a long time ago about the first special session, but, um, the defeat of the step up Oklahoma revenue plan Monday could provide impetus to a proposal to lower the threshold needed for the legislature to increase taxes and showed that compromise is essentially four letter word for democratic leaders. Left out an A there. Um, these are editors, once again. Um, under a constitutional amendment approved by voters in 1992, revenue-raising bills must receive 75% approval in each chamber. Supporters say it has worked as intended. The legislature hasn't approved a tax increase since that time. The step-up plan provi- proposed by business and civic leaders across Oklahoma includes several potential reforms to go along with recommended tax increases to provide teacher pay raises and budget st- stability. One of the group's reform ideas is to ask voters whether to make 60% approval, the bar that must be cleared for tax increases. This would be identical to what's needed to approve school bond issues in Oklahoma and would still be considered uh, still be a considerable hurdle. Monday's vote in the 101-member House of Representatives was 63 to 35%, 61% approval from a bill to, for a bill to increase tobacco and fuel taxes, bump the initial gross production tax for oil and natural gas wells to 4%, 2%, and push a $1 per megawatt hour tax on wind energy production. Republicans who hold 72 seats provided 53 of the yes votes, one shy of 75% of the caucus. Only 10 of 28 Democrats, 36% voted in favor. The original revenue figure in the Step Up Oklahoma proposal was $790 million. Concerns about the proposed restructuring of income tax brackets resulted in that language being removed last week. The bill voted on Monday would have generated an estimated $581 million. Republicans who voted in favor are likely to face criticism from constituents and potential opponents in this election year because many ran on a promise to keep taxes low. But after several years of budget deficits, they believe this move was needed and were willing to push the green button to vote time. The Democratic caucus, meantime, is taking an all-or-nothing stance ladled heavily with class envy. The bill rejected... Yeah, lol. The bill rejected Monday caused... Caucus leaders said sought to mend some of our state's problems with taxes that ask working families to pay more while asking very little of those at the top in the oil and gas industry. How's they Democrats quote while looking down from their helicopter full of yeah. gold and money. <laughs> <laughs> while all living in Nichols Hills. Um, Jesus. Keep going. I'm sorry. House Democrats included a $150 per pack tobacco tax increase in their own agenda last year, but now rejected as harmful to lower middle income Oklahomans. The increase to a 4% gross production tax isn't high enough. It needs to be equal to the current top income tax rate of 5%. That income tax rate is too low, too, according to House Dems. They wanted to they wanted bump back up to 5.25% on quote-unquote high earners. The list goes on. Republicans even offered in the late-going Monday make $67 million available for state employee pay raises, something Democrats have wanted. It wasn't enough. Caucus leaders say they're ready to deliver all 28 Democratic House votes, but apparently only if all their demands are met. Those demands have been moving all along, however, suggesting the real goal was that no agreement could be reached, all for political gain. Oklahoma teachers who flooded the Capitol on Monday and have been so critical of GOP leadership should take note. This is, like, literally if, like, 
the Republican Party had, if, if Charles McCall had his own newspaper, if Larry Nichols had their own newspaper, and it had the highest circulation in the state, they sit here and say, oh, they title this the Democrats that compromises a one-way street because it's a four-letter word to Democrats. When the Democrats have said, we'll do this plan that a fucking Republican gubernatorial candidate supports. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is one, this is genuinely one of the worst things. I don't, I don't really have much to say about it. And that's why I wanted to just read straight through it. Because, you know, if you, if you think the press, if you think our First Amendment right to a free press is important and you live in Oklahoma, you're not getting your right. They're not fulfilling their duty. And, and it's just, it is so disgusting to read this stuff. Like ladled with class envy when they say they want an income tax on high earners that's 5.25% and that they don't want to see the pay raise to teachers and state employees disappear in higher taxes. And, and also having the accusation that like they, the, the befuddled accusation of like, oh, oh, they're doing all this for political gain when like literally they're advocating <clears throat> for teachers for more money. Like, yeah. it, how is this any type of, like, hollow rhetorical argument? Like, holy shit, my dude. Like, it's just, the, the Oklahoman editorial, I've said they're class enemies before, but, I mean, Oklahoma, the Oklahoman editorial board are some of the most morally bankrupt, disgusting people in the state of Oklahoma. And tweet that at them. Tweet this quote for me at them. Like, send it to them in the mail. Spray paint it on their front door. Spray paint it in front of their homes, okay? Mm. That's that's an official <laughs> position, but not a, an actual. Uh, that's a Carl official position, not a show position. <laughs> all right, yeah, I like, I like, I like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that'll work. We'll describe it that way. But uh, yeah, this is uh, this is a rough one for sure. But uh, I think uh, Carl, do you have some uh, events for us coming up this week? Yeah, so the, the way we're going to get out of the Oklahoma just pouring shit on us, calling it editorial. Um, yeah, the, the spray paint of the Oklahoma is not an event, by the way. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, I should make that face. That'd be fun. Um, mm. No, I, I won't do that. Um, but we've got, a, we've got a real blockbuster week coming up for events, socialist events in Oklahoma. Um, to start it off, Green Country DSA has one, two, three, count them, four events this week. So if you live in the Tulsa Metro, you can go do something, I'm sure. Um, on Monday, February 19th, they're having the knock on every door with DSA at Nathan Hale Library from 3 to 6 p.m. On Wednesday, February 21st, they're host- hosting the first socialist school session in room 330 at TU's Chapman Hall from 6.30 to 8. On Thursday, February 22nd, they're co-hosting with Dream Act Tulsa, an immigrant Immigrants' Rights Coalition meeting at the Riddisil Regional Library from 5.30 to 7. And finally, they're having their regular meeting on Sunday, February 25th from 2.15 to 4 at the Hardesty Regional Library. Um, the Oklahoma City John Brown Gun Club will be, will be releasing a statement of independence along with points of unity in the upcoming week. So pay attention to their Facebook page. They're also planning to host more open range days soon, like the one Adam went to, and maybe holding Yo. some firearm... Yeah, which is great. Um, it may be holding some firearms classes as well as working on developing a course for how to react to an active shooter in the workplace, focusing on how the aspect of toxic patriarchy plays a critical role in those situations, which is really cool and like a good way to approach that, I think. Um, 
The UCO Socialist Alliance is having its Coffee with the Commie event again on Wednesday, February 21st from 2 to 4 in room 234 of the Liberal Arts Building. The Oklahoma chapter of the Brown Berets is a co-host of the AIM Indian Territory Public Meeting on Saturday, February 24th from 2 to 4 at the Lawton Public Library. And they also wanted us to mention a protest in March they will be attending related to the death of Magdiel Sanchez, deaf man shot dead by Oklahoma City PD. We'll have more info about that in next week's show. Indivisible Stillwater is having a meeting on Monday, February 19th at Nikki's Greek Restaurant from 6 to 8. And Indivisible Norman is having a meeting with the Cleveland County Democratic Party Chair on Wednesday, February 21st from 7 to 8.30 in room AB of Pioneer Library System. And finally, in events for this week, on Saturday, February 24th, a coalition of groups, including Green Country DSA and the New Sanctuary Network Tulsa, is hosting the DREAM Act Now, Not One More protest in front of the Tulsa County Courthouse from 1 to 4. Um, like always, if you just follow the link to the Reddit show that we've included in the show, to, to the Reddit post for, the sh- uh, for this week's episode that we've included in the episode description, we have Facebook links to all of these except for the individual Stillwater meeting. So if you want to find out more, you've got it. You can message us if you want that too. Uh, mm-hmm. The last thing I want to say is that we're very proud to announce be co-hosting a candidate forum with Green Country DSA on March 3rd. We'll be asking hard-hitting questions, and Adam will be facilitating and recording the event. Our plan is currently to release it as a special edition, but we'll see how that works out with the recording and so on. Um, Seven candidates. Seven candidates. It's a huge deal. Running for positions ranging from the municipal and county level to the federal have already confirmed they'll be there, and we're going to share more details with everybody next week. Mm -hmm. It's going to be an awesome time. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, hey, uh, as always, everybody, you can go check us out at Twitter at Red Star Over OK. The uh, subreddit where all our stuff is is our Red Star Over Oklahoma. You can check us out at SoundCloud and iTunes at Red Star Over Oklahoma. Our uh, email account, if you want to send us a comment, concern, question, or if you're a teacher who wants to get interviewed about their struggles after the Step Up program, or if you know a teacher who might be interested in doing that as well. <laughs> Yep, let us know over at redstaroverok at gmail.com. And as always, tell your friends and rate and review on iTunes. Hey, guys, have a great week, and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye.